Hello and welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. Uh, this is yeah, you said all the words. <laughs> My name is Scott Powell. I'm Father Peter. Must it? <laughs> That's true. Uh, we've been watching '80s commercials. You can, you too, can be a model or, or just, just look like one. Parmesan. Yeah. We realized that. <laughs> That uh, that they said it so that so that it was like a secret because because it's, it's like that age where you're just like saying like ooh I want to know the secret of going to be look look like a model or yeah, just so many people have no idea what we're talking about or maybe they all do yeah or maybe maybe that was just it was it was nationwide or something you know what reminded me I was I was in your restroom and I saw a can of Barbasol shaving cream oh. and as I saw it my brain started singing Barbasol. <laughs> and then I put it together. In case you were wondering where yep. that came from. Yep. Hey, we're but into you the you guys 20... are not asking that question. No, no, you're you're wanting us to get to the twenty seven Sunday in ordinary time. Twenty seven, can I give a quick uh it's not really a shout out, but three just three times three times three. So the oh um, <laughs> can I just mention that uh, uh, um, by popular demand, a number of people have requested this over the months and the years. Uh, we are now on Spotify. Which oh. is very exciting. So Sweet. if you are a Spotify user or you are not an Apple fan, uh, there are lots more platforms that you can find us on now. Yeah, tell, tell us if you spot it there. Oh. I was trying to keep that pun going, but I can't do uh, it. No, man. There's, there's no more mileage. <laughs> <laughs> You've tapped it out. Lead balloon. Literally, do you know that in Mythbusters, they actually made a lead balloon? But I'm not going to talk about that anymore. That's fair. Okay, <laughs> so they, they fill it with lead, or no? The the, the sheets were like... so thin, but then they made a lead balloon, and then they got it to fly. It was, I it was, flew. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but it was very delicate. That, that as it would be. As, <laughs> as, as, so uh, the twenty seventh Sunday in ordinary time. Um, but a very this we are in the week of like big time Saint feast days, right? We have the archangels. We've got Saint Teresa of Lisieux. We've got Saint Francis. This is am I missing guardian, something? Guardian, guardian angels. angels. Like, we, this is a big Saint week. Jerome. Jerome, right? Jerome and uh, Pope Francis released a, uh, a papal document about St. Jerome, about the study of scripture this week. No kidding. Which I haven't had a chance to read, but I've heard it's quite good. Oh, that's good. In honor of the Feast of St. Jerome. And the podcast, really, because we study scripture. In honor of the podcast. <laughs> thank you, Holy Father. Uh, thank you, Holy Father, for honoring our podcast. Oh, it was geez. such a gift. Oh, heaven help us. All right, the 27th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Our first reading is coming from Isaiah. Surprise. Not, surprise. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Um, our psalm is mm. Psalm 80, uh, which is, go, we go verse 9, mm-hmm. then 12 to 16, then 19 to 20. Um, uh, and it's divided up in some other way. I don't know. Strangely enough, the response itself comes from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5. Yeah. So we're heavy on the, uh, heavy on the vineyards this week. Our second reading is from and songs. Cause the first one's a song too. Songs, Psalms. Oh, it is a song. Yeah, you're right. The first reading is a song. Yeah. Jesus. Do you think Jesus sang his parable? In the gospel? <laughs> probably not. So that's as far as we know. can get with that I one. I don't know. He probably had good tone, though. You would think so, being God, fully God and fully man. Yeah. Our second reading is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. And then our gospel comes from the gospel of Matthew mm. chapter 21, mm. verses 33 to 43. Mm. That's right. This is right. So, okay. So our reading in Isaiah, okay? Yeah. A lot of vineyards. If you want to... This ha- last month has been heavy on vineyards. Am I right? Yeah, it has. It has. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, but I, w- I was looking and I, and I was like, I, for some reason, it, I, maybe it's just because we have Isaiah, Isaiah so much that yeah. like 
I just feel a saturation with Isaiah. I, I don't know if you ever get feeling like, oh, Isaiah, I'm saturated. Surprise. Like I did. So, so I don't to, have that feeling. So today, what I did to help myself with the reading okay. is I sang it to myself. Did you really? Yeah, but I did it in kind of hobo tone. So <laughs> okay. let, let me sing a song for my beloved, my Hold love on. song Hold concerning on. Hold his on. vineyard. Hold on. Time out. Okay. Are you going to sing it? You can't declare to all of us and to the world and the podcast that you gained this huge insight by singing it well, and then recite it well, to us. Well, no, no. Like, so Put your money where your mouth is, man. Right. Sing the psalm. My beloved. Oh, good Lord. No, Maybe I can't not. do it on here. I'm <laughs> yeah, embarrassed. That's, that's I'm better. embarrassed to do it in the, in the, in the tone. It's kind of like, it's like kind of like hillbilly, like slash, like just kind of like I'm alone eating my eggs and sausages and... Like, uh, you know, on the, by the tire, by the train tracks, like yeah, yeah. he dug it up and clean because it sounds it's too country. It's not country. It's more hobo, and I can't get there because I'm feeling pressure right now. Okay? I know. I I put pressure. You on put you. you pressurized me. I was actually gonna go there, and then you pressurized In me. In the times then... of King Uzziah, I was sitting <laughs> by Jerusalem. See, that's like too. That's too. That's right. It's too country. It's too much. It's, I'm thinking, oh brother, where art thou? That's what's floating in the back. Right, of my that, head you kind of want that. Yeah, but but I'll tell you, if you're sitting alone and you're trying to like hang with the readings, it really does make it better. There's something kind of meta about that. I mean, Isaiah did sort of have to suffer a lot of these things personally and deal with these things by himself before he proclaimed the rest. So, I don't know. There's something. There's something there, right? right. Trying to put yourself into the right, right. into the place of Isaiah. All right. Well, tell me what you've. Tell me more. Um, well, I so just, you, you, it just helped me read it. It helped uh, you read it. Yeah, okay, yeah. So that's good. I, I figured that you could, if, okay. if I jumped in without you giving context, then you're going to, it'll help us listen to each other. I, uh, yeah, yeah. And I've been honest about this on the podcast. Isaiah is, for me, the most frustrating book of the Bible because I have such a hard time wrapping my brain around the full span of what Isaiah is doing and the, the depth and the chronology and the jumping through time. I just struggle with making sense of the book. I, I think linearly, and I think in terms that Isaiah's book does not think in. So I I get stressed that I'm not going to be able to understand enough or articulate the meaning enough every time Isaiah shows up, um, which that's just sort of a confession. So you feel saturation. I feel stressed that it's coming back, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm going to be able to understand what I'm supposed to understand from this. Mm. But this one actually does. This is... This is where I find comfort, actually, because and and part of you know I mean part of the reason for this Isaiah I think more than any other book of the Bible, which sounds like a big statement, but perhaps more than any other book of the Bible, Isaiah um, speaks to and unveils the full dimension of God's judgment and His salvation, the full breadth and width of judgment, consequence. So sin, judgment, consequence, restoration, reconciliation. I mean, it, it covers the span of all of what God does in salvation history, even looking into the time of Jesus, although Isaiah didn't see Jesus clearly. He didn't know Jesus, of course, but he does speak to him in a pretty profound way. So it's hard for me to wrap my brain around. And it's uh, maybe one of the sources of comfort, but also frustration this week is that um, Jesus's parable in the Gospel of Matthew is clearly... Um, a kind of recycling you of can't, you this. can't you can't jump all the way ahead like I'm, that. I'm not. Come I'm on. not. I'm just saying that the, the, the parallelism of the two of them are so um, clear. Right. It's like Jesus is giving the same parable, and that's almost frustrating to me because I want to find the nuances and the subtleties and the slightness. But I mean, he's basically just retelling Isaiah. So what Isaiah does, and this, by the way, um, to put it in the context of the book itself. So Isaiah chapter five, we're right before. 
um, Isaiah's telling of his call as as a prophet when he is given his commission by God in chapter six. Chapters one through five form this series of introductory oracles telling Israel, uh, basically explaining to Israel the consequence for what is about to happen to them, which is the um, nation of Assyria who's going to destroy the northern kingdom, is going to come and give God's punishment to the southern kingdom in Jerusalem and Judea. And then he looks forward even from that up into Babylon. But chapter 1 and chapter 5 both give these kind of um, parallel songs of judgment on Israel's infidelity, on Israel's sin, on the ways in which God sought to give Israel everything and Israel rejected everything. And that's why, historically speaking, then in Isaiah's time, this judgment from Isaiah is coming. It's not coming out of nowhere. It's not just, oh, woe is us. We have no idea what's going on. Where did this consequence for something come from? No, this is where you are. And so I actually love this um, this song because it it encapsulates in such a really crystal clear way who God is, who Israel is, and what exactly has happened. So again, putting it in this this kind of agrarian terminology. So we've already talked about the fact that whenever you see a vineyard show up in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, but then Jesus uses it in the New, and Israel is all, or, uh, a vineyard is always a metaphor for Israel, for the people of God. The one who plants the vineyard, the farmer, the seed sower, whatever it is, is always the metaphor for God. So Isaiah says, let me sing now a song of my friend, my friend's song concerning his vineyard. He is speaking of God, who is his friend in the deepest sense, right? My friend had a vineyard. Come on, give us to sing it for us. My friend had a vineyard on a fertile land side, spaded it, cleared it of stones, and he planted <laughs> the choicest vines, and he built a watchtower, he would press out of wine. I'm, I'm done with this. He looked to it for yields and grapes, <laughs> but it only wielded stinky grapes. I'm so happy you translated it correctly. Yeah, so this is... this is Stinky this, grapes, baby. Well, so I'm looking at this. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because because I, I was I was like wild grapes. It, the only place that it's translated wild grapes is literally in this passage in all of Scripture. Otherwise, it's odious or stinky or smelly or like like it literally is. It, it just it stinks. So yeah. the fruit bad grapes, right? Grapes you don't want to eat. I, I just keep framing and I think it's only the that NAB that translates it that way, isn't it? Or do other no, translations? No, no, no. Because the NIV has bad grapes. ESV, RSV, um, they all have stink. They all have bad, uh, wild, wild, wild grapes. Interesting. It's an, but yeah, the the NAB and the E, the NAS. No, not the the ESV. ESV. Anyway, the NASB doesn't, and the NIV doesn't. It doesn't matter. So this is what I but talk this to me is, about stinky grapes. Well, this is where I'm framing it. Okay, is that? Well, but can we just sorry, okay. just to because I saying that and I that is a recipe for having everybody miss it. So in other words, God planted a vineyard. It was beautiful. He spayed it. He worked really hard. He cleared the stones. He hoed it. You know, he, he made it beautiful. He built a watchtower. He hewed a wine press. He has done every, every possible thing you could do to make your garden beautiful and thriving. He gave it every possible gift. And yet after everything that the gardener could possibly do to bring forth abundant harvest, it yields stinky grapes. I sang that, so I don't want anybody to miss it. Yep. Now, please. I think that what really the the core that I'm seeing throughout what we're about to do, and I I think that it's really important to keep in mind is that um, it's about who's building. Build so, so like what we're talking about is we're talking about structures. We're talking about architecture. We're talking about uh, edifices. We're talking about walls and towers. Edify. And, 
with the specific reality of making fruitfulness. So, so fruitfulness, so, because so, we're, we know that all of this stuff is metaphor. So we're actually trying to ask. Yeah, yeah, of course. We're trying to, to well, penetrate into. Well, not so much. I mean, the, the metaphor breaks down once you get to the second uh, half of this reading, and all of a sudden it becomes quite literal. It's, but it still means it still oh, means course, something. It's, course, it's still course, a signifier. Of course. Of course. Y even if you get really yes, very literal course, about of it. Of course, of course. Yeah. I just want to drive that point home that there is a, a literalism to it. Right. But we'll get to that. Right. And that's where, that's where like, as I'm looking, I, I'm, I think that we have to keep in mind who's building, when are they building, and what are they building for? Okay. Um, because I look and you say, okay, a, a vineyard on a fertile hill. Okay. So we start and this is, this is wonderful. Yeah. Okay. He dug it and cleared it of stones and he planted choice vines and he built a watchtower. Hmm. So what happens is notice there's no wall here yet. No. Right. So we're saying like, no, well, that th 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 it says it's he's cleared it and it's fertile. He cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines, which, by the way, God help Napa and all the folks who are out oh there. Gosh, who just, the... It's just burning down. Talk about like stinky, stinky grapes. Yeah. I was actually reading that like part of the struggle is that as soon as the fire comes in contact with the grapes, it's really hard to purify them from right. just having them be so acrid. Or even just be sac uh, uh, um, saturated in the smoke. That's in what I'm saying yeah but even if it doesn't burn yeah even if it doesn't burn the, the, the yeah, grapes yeah. themselves even being near, being near the smoke become right. acrid right 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 which is an yeah. interesting which is an interesting way for us to actually have access to these readings in a very mm. concrete and um uh, uh tangible way because okay. i feel like everything that we're doing is trying to get us to think about israel in concrete terms and in with sin and redemption and salvation and relationship because yeah. Because it's interesting because towers are always about relationship and defense. So towers are? Towers. Okay. So if you just go through the scriptures and you're saying like, oh, okay, wow, I'm going to like go through and look at where are all the towers. Towers mm -hmm. are a place of salvation, a place mm -hmm. of refuge, but, but they can also be burnt. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, unless they're stone, and so then you have all of these ideas, of, uh, and but then there's which is all three in three little pigs theology, right? Here. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> which is always actually going bringing us back to the the prime tower. Hmm. Is God going to build Himself a tower, or is or is man going to build Himself a tower, or is God going to build the tower for Him? And this, I think, is is actually a framing where we're, we're saying we're back to Babel now. We're back to Babel, and in a certain sense, we're actually this is God dealing a little bit with Babel hmm. and saying, "No, I built a I built a place of defense for you. It doesn't have to be the one to where you make such a great name for yourself that you're in you're you're so defensible that you can take on the whole world." Rather than saying no, okay, but there's a fruitfulness that's expected in in relationship to the defense that God gives. Interesting. That's interesting. There, there's also a difference between, well, I guess there's a there's a tower here. I'm thinking of the difference between you know building a tower for oneself, the idea of right. of of security, the idea of of kind of circle the wagons. This is for me, and the idea of a garden or a vineyard, which is actually meant to bring fruitfulness and beauty outside of itself. Right. A tower encloses. A vineyard gives out, or a garden gives out. I don't know if that makes sense, but there's something. Yeah, to yeah. what we want to build and what God wants to build. Right. And he wants us to be safe. He wants us to be his his vineyard to be protected, but it's not about the tower, it's about the vineyard and what it's supposed to give to the world. Right. And so as he goes on, now inhabit it's funny there there's a, a change in 
um, the voice between the first half of the reading and the second half. The that, first half is Isaiah's voice, I believe. Right. And then it changes to the voice of God. Exactly. That's fascinating. When, when I was singing of that, like, it goes so dark. When I was singing of that. When I was singing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's really funny. I want to sing of my vineyard. So and when I, when I, was, I was in Holy Hour, and I was thankfully I was alone. I love it. But, like, I, 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 the tone gets so crazy dark. Oh, my. That I was like, I, my hobo tone took on a much less humor by the end, as is as as happens. Right, right. Life. And I'm gonna tell you now what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my vineyard. I'm gonna let it get wrecked. Which is which is <laughs> so now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. So again, Isaiah is saying this to a people who are about to be trampled. Right. In a certain sense, as the vineyard, metaphorically speaking, who is literally going to be trampled and have their walls and their towers torn down. Hedge. See, this is funny because at first we actually are talking about something natural. The hedge. The hedge, okay. We're not talking about a wall yet. I'm going to actually, what I'm going to remove its hedge. Take away its hedge, give it to grazing, break through its wall. So there's two separate things. Oh, no. Look at that. There's a distinction between a hedge and a wall here. The, the natural and the and natural the and then the man-made. man-made. Interesting. I don't or, know. Or, I just feel very meditative about these readings. I don't like have a whole tons of answers. I just feel like, gosh, there's something about the the concrete nature of architecture that keeps on saying something to me here. There's the concrete nature of architecture, but then there's just the uh, the science of of gardens and and the nature the the nature of agriculture, in that Jesus is going to give another. Not another interpretation of this parable, but another um, dimension of this parable. So, mm. as we as we see that the, they're wild grapes, stinky grapes that did not bear forth the fruit that God wanted His vineyard to grow. So, what am I going to do? I take away its hedge. I give it over to grazing. So, so far we're we're fairly peaceful. There's there's something very different about breaking a wall and letting it be trampled, and between taking down the hedge and giving it over to grazing. So there's there's something kind of natural happening. Give it over to grazing. The wall is going to be taken down. It's going to be trampled. It will be made a ruin. It will not be pruned or hoed, but overgrown with thorns and briars. I will command, which takes us back to the garden, right? Of the consequence of the sin of Adam, when we have the garden now growing thorns and briars and thistles. So the mind should be reminded of original sin. So this isn't abstract, right? Um, overgrown with thorns and briars, I will command the clouds not to send rain upon it. There's going to be drought, which is one of the very clear consequences back in Deuteronomy for sin and unfaithfulness to God and the covenant. There's going to be drought. Uh, and, and this is what the, the Deuteronomy says. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So <laughs> this is where, in case you missed the metaphor and you didn't catch the symbolism. Oh, the vineyard, by the way. Of the Lord, it is the house of Israel and the people of Judah. They're the cherished plant. He looked for judgment, but see bloodshed for justice. But hark the sedachah, the outcry. An outcry, sedachah, is this term that's used throughout the prophets for literally a cry of the poor and the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, when they are beaten down and taken advantage of by the powerful. So it lays bare what this metaphor exactly means. Oh, this vineyard that didn't bear forth fruit, or it did bear forth fruit, actually brought something, but it was stinky something. It's not that it was barren. It's not that there was nothing that came out of Israel, but it's that sin came out of Israel. There was judgment, bloodshed, injustice, the outcry. The outcry is what um, God says results in Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. 
because there was an outcry of people being beaten down and used and objectified and oppressed and everything else. That's why God acts here. So it's not just, well, I tried to, so I tried to grow a garden last year and the springtime when we all had our quarantine gardens and it was doing awesome and it was fantastic. And um, it was growing things and they were coming along and then it just kind of the last month or so, it's everything's dead and just everything stinks now. And, and we got like maybe two tomatoes out of it and part of a, part of a squash, but everything just stinks. And it just didn't bear anything. This is a garden that's bearing something, but it's bearing the wrong things. And I think that's an important distinction because God's just not saying there's just a barrenness and we got to start again. It's saying it's bearing bad things. And so it has to be trampled. It has to be grazed. It has to kind of go defunct for a little while so that, and this is what we don't get in the first reading, but Jesus gives the why. Isaiah gives the consequence. Here's what has been done. Here's what didn't happen that ought to have happened. Here's the consequence for that having happened. And then he leaves you and Jesus will bring us back and say, okay, now what? Now what will God do with his vineyard now that it has yielded these stinky grapes in a new manifestation of stinky grapes that Jesus is going to show us? So we need the gospel to make full sense out of the first reading. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. That's yeah. all I got. So yeah, then we go into the 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 responsorial psalm, which is very, very on point. It's just, you know, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. That yeah, but by the way, what what's really funny is that um I was talking to some uh, of my Italian friends of the priestly fraternity of Charles Borromeo, also known the, as the CL priests. Okay. And we were just talking about how in the turn of the last century so early 1900s, okay. um, there was a huge plague on Italian grapes and grapes, in fact, all over Europe. Really? But that the vinters of the United States had preserved the grapes almost um, undefiled. The, the strains were there. So actually, most of the grapes in Italy to this day are actually regrafted from the preservations uh, from the United States. Well, there's another way in which we've yeah. So what they did is they like they they actually took really the, they yeah. So they took the vines and then they they took the roots, and then they regrafted the the vines themselves onto the root balls back over there. So that then, um, so so it's really it's actually quite interesting. I I did never heard of this kind of very interesting interrelationship of of vines and grapes of the United States and Italy. Oh, that's specific. But yeah. the concept, you know where my mind instantly goes. My mind was already headed here before yeah. you said that, and you have just made it so much more crystal clear. My mind goes to Romans, because I'm a Romans guy. I really like Romans, speaking right. of Italy. And Romans is where Paul gives his famous passage about what happened to Israel in the New Covenant. And he talks about the olive branch. Remember this? He says Israel is like a tree, and it was a tree that God cultivated and he grew. Again, it's it's a, a, another version of the of the vineyard metaphor, right? He says, no, actually Israel is like a tree and God grew this tree and he, he's been nourishing it and cultivating it, but there's been some branches that have broken off. They have chosen to fall off. And he saw, talks about that is the people of Israel who've chosen to reject the Messiah. They have broken themselves off of the tree that was Israel and God shows them. So there's a, um, a piece of, there, there's a, a school of bad theology called covenant uh what is it called covenant replacement theology have you heard of this that the the idea of the new testament being okay well god chose the people of israel the jewish people to build a covenant with to build them as the people of god they rejected the messiah so god basically said heck with you guys and moved on to establish a new covenant with the gentiles which became the church that's bad theology 
And that's against Paul's theology. He says, no, there is one Israel and only one Israel. And when Israel was bore, was given witness to her Messiah, some members of Israel chose to break themselves off and reject that. And so what did God do? He took branches from not the cultivated tree of Israel, but from wild trees, wild olive branches that were out in other places. And he grafted those wild branches onto the cultivated tree that was Israel in place of the branches that fell off. And he says, that's who the Gentiles are. It's not just God gave up on his tree and said, well, you guys rejected it. I guess we're done. I'll move on to something else. But these wild outside branches from somewhere else were then grafted onto the tree. And I was reading a couple of years ago a, uh, an article about um, horticultural practices in the first century. And apparently this was a thing that oftentimes if you had a tree that was you know, well cultivated and cared for and, you know, had a little hedge and fence around it and it was not doing well. It wasn't bearing fruit. It wasn't in leaf. It wasn't blooming. A practice in the first century in the, in the Middle Eastern part of the world would be to take a wild branch. So go out to the wilderness, to the wild places where the trees are a little hardier because they're not cultivated and watered every day. They have to, you know, if you imagine a tree in your backyard or a tree, you know, on a bare mountain out there that's windswept and has to deal with the elements. Colorado bristlecone pine. Colorado bristlecone combine, they said, well, if we take some of these wild branches and we graft them onto our cultivated trees, there'll be sort of a new lifeblood that these wild branches will will put into the old cultivated tree and it will make it come back to life and it will bear new fruit, um, you know, and become fertile beyond belief by taking these outside branches and grafting them on. That's the metaphor that Paul is using, Mm. um, which it takes the New Testament to get there, right? Because here, but I, I'm reminded of yeah, that, that first, sorry, that was how we got there. The vine that you transplanted from Egypt. God takes his his <laughs> branches, his vines, his plants from wherever he chooses. And he choo- he is the gardener. He is the master gardener that knows what it's going to take for the garden to grow and to thrive. And sometimes what it takes for your garden to grow and thrive is to let it be taken over by the wilderness, to let it lie dormant, to let it be trampled down and grazed upon so that you can start again in a new way. Not with a different garden, but with the same garden now brought to life in a new way. Um, so, th- yeah, I I actually think about like converts in the church right now and yeah. how like um, how how actually revitalizing yeah. the experience of of yes. being with somebody who really <clears throat> had the response towards the Lord and then gave their life, especially yeah. in the midst of this time and yes. this energy right now. It's like That's it. it's really just it's just super clear because then you say, oh. This is what fruitfulness is. And then it gives you this infusion of saying like, oh, that's fruitfulness. And then all of a sudden you're like, like there's a clarity and you say, I can, well, I can bear fruit because I am given over to this. Well, there's also the notion. So there was um, working in the church in different ways in, I I don't know. We talked about the nineties a lot, right? But, you know, back in the nineties when we were kind of starting to, my experience in a personal way with the church, there were so many converts that I was being inspired by, you know, guys like Tom Smith and Scott Hahn and, um, you know, all of these Jeff Cavins, all of these converts. And I remember there being a little bit of a grumbling in the church of like, well, why is it only the converts that are the ones who are the great teachers? And why is it all these converts that everybody flocks around? But there's something about a convert that can remind the people that have been there the whole time, the cradle Catholics of like, 
Oh, I don't know if I ever really realized what I had until you, who didn't have it, reminded me of it. And so this convert reality, these grafted on branches are actually inspiring me to bear a fruit that I didn't really realize I could be bearing because you have, you know, brought this new lifeblood into me as well. Yeah. And I want to also think about like the great part about um, people coming in who are not just living in the, the, the same kind of worldview that we do they actually bring in something yes. really special like the wildness actually helps because I, I this is I, the church of the first century this right. is this is what made it so powerful when i like i like the semini verbi the, the idea that that at all times in all ages in every culture there is this um there is this um, expression of the Holy Spirit that is trying to bring cult like the experiences of culture yeah. towards Jesus Christ. And they may be in a small way, they may be in a great way, but they're actually all disposed in leading towards Jesus Christ. And right. that's that's where I, I'm like, oh, that's that's what the kind of wild th that's this yes. kind of wild branch that's then being brought. And it's funny, if it sounds like Father Peter and I have strayed far from the readings all of a sudden are just talking about branches and stuff in the New Testament, the, the reason that is directly applicable to this psalm, and then we can move on to the second reading, Psalm 80 is known to be a prayer, uh, a prayer from Israel for restoration after having been trampled down by a foreign power. It's got a very specific context. So like in Assyria or Babylon, we're not sure, but it was a psalm that is saying, okay, God, we, we got beaten down. We've been punished. We've received our consequence. Please restore us, build us back up, regrow us. Right. And so this prayer is a petition saying, we want to come back to you. We want you to regrow us. But it's unclear from the point of view of the psalm how God is going to do that. And that's where the New Testament becomes this unexpected masterpiece in that God in his artistry, he's not just a gardener, but he's an artistic gardener. He finds creative ways in which to bring the vineyard back to life, which is the prayer and the petition of Psalm 80. Please do this. Please bring us back to life. Right. So that's... Which is actually really interesting because it leads us into the Philippians. Okay. Which I find that, that there's there's two things. Whenever... So it's it's anxiety and then and meditation on the good. So it's like... So what happens yeah, is right. he says, don't yeah. be anxious about anything, but go and let your request be known to God. And then think about everything that's good, honorable, justness, purity, loveliness, commendableness, excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And um, so it's interesting because if you look at the word anxiety through scripture, it's always about the practical worldly things. Which is, uh, that, that's so good that you, you said that because it's perfect for what I was about to interrupt you to say. <laughs> but you, you've said it even better. I mean, again, this, this is one of those nice sounding little passages that can sound disconnected from everything. Don't have any anxiety. Don't worry. Just pray and have a petition and meditate on good, beautiful things. And that is true. And those are all really good, but we can't forget the context in which Philippians 4 is coming, which is where Paul just explained how Jesus um, was glorified because he rejected all of the things that he had at his disposal. He gave it up, took the form of a slave, emptied himself in totality, which we are being called to do as well. Empty yourself for one another, forsake all of what you see as your rights or your privileges or all the things that make you awesome Philippians who had great rights and privileges within the Roman Empire. Empty yourself, pour yourself out, stand side by side, not frightened by your opponents, give yourself up. He just finished doing his own canonic hymn where Paul says, 
puts his money where his mouth is and says, these are all the things that I have counted and rejected and counted as scubala or rubbish um, for the sake of knowing Jesus. I've given up everything. Don't make your God into your bellies. He said, remember we talked about this last week, the way to become, he says, an enemy of the cross of Christ is to make your God into your belly or your bellies into your gods, your appetites, your desires, all the good things of this world to make those into God and not have an ability to empty yourself in totality and in, in imitation of Jesus. Then he says, oh, by the way, don't be anxious about anything because the natural response is like, I, I don't know if I can do that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I've got a lot of things. I've got a lot of status in this world. I have a lot of relationships, contacts, you know, all of these things of my life. I don't know if I can do that, Paul. And Paul answers by saying, don't be anxious about what I just asked you to do, about the hardest thing of your life, which is self-sacrifice in imitation of Jesus. You don't have to be have anxiety about that, but in everything by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. What is the request that he is talking about? Please, God, don't let my God be my belly. Please not let me be led by the comforts of this world and my image of myself, but guard your minds, guard your hearts. Well, how do you do that? Well, meditate on good, beautiful things. Even if you live in the midst of a culture that values nothing but evil and violence and bloodshed, like is referred to in the first reading, like would have been the case in the Roman Empire of Paul's time, like is the case today. Even if you have a culture that is saturated in darkness and violence and fear and anxiety and hatred, find what is good, what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is gracious. Think and meditate on those things because they're there. And, you know, Paul's not saying that to any more of a dark culture then as he is to us now. But to see that outside of its context of you need to give yourself up if you want to gain yourself or gain access into this tree, this vine that God has planted. But don't be anxious about the fact that you don't know if you have the ability to do that or not. Here's the ta- here, here's here's literally the step by step instructions. First of all, don't be scared. Second of all, here's how to pray. Third of all, here's the things to fill your mind and your heart with if you want to get there, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's uh, it's gracious. And then and then we get the parable again. Then we get the Jesus's recycling of the parable, right? Like in the best possible sense, <laughs> right? So 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 we we go oh. through it and. What? Before you say that, I want you to go to go on this because I don't I don't have that much more to say, but I, I want to put this in context because the context of this parable, it's not within the series. Jesus tells most of his parables around chapter 13. So this is another parable that comes kind of later. And what's happened is Jesus has just come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Crowds have welcomed him, waved palm branches, shouted Hosanna. He has gone into the temple. He's overturned the money changers tables. Pigeons are flying everywhere. He has pronounced judgment on that temple, on the vineyard that by this point in history has been rebuilt. They've rebuilt Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the temple. The vineyard has been replanted and it seems to be growing and thriving because everybody's happy and there's wealth and there's protection and there's religious leaders and everything is cool. The garden seems to be doing well. And Jesus steps in and says, no, the garden is not doing well. And he has just said to the religious leaders and the people, you've made my father's temple, in other words, the vineyard, into a den of robbers and a den of thieves. How is it a den of robbers? Well, you're stealing from God and you're stealing from the poor. You're not actually being the light of the world that I've called you to be. And you're stealing what is right and true to God, which is true worship with your hypocrisy and everything else. 
it's hot on the heels of that message that he says this parable. So I think that context is supremely important for this. Right. And he says the parable and it's like, it's, so it's, it takes the parable. And, and everybody it, knows this parable, by the way. I mean, he's right. saying a, a guy planted a vineyard, put a press and a tower around it. They're like, oh, Isaiah 5. We all know Isaiah 5. Right. But then he adds a personal element to it and right. then, and gets us to see the prophets or the servants. Yes, and yes, then they yes. beat him and then they're going to respect the son. But then they son, they say, they're, this is the heir. We're going to kill him and get the inheritance. We If we kill him, then we get all of this wonderful, then we, we get the vineyard. We're the possessor of the vineyard. Yeah. Like this is then ours to deal with as we want. Yeah. There's a lot. Oh, sorry. Go for it. I, I was just going to say there, there's a line in here that I, I found troubling and then I found a quote from St. John Chrysostom who made it make sense to me. Chrysostom, Chrysostom, there's debate over the pronunciation. But there's, uh, yeah, so he's got the, the wine press and the, 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 um, the vineyard, the vintage trimed due near so that the, the master sent his servants to obtain it. Like you said, they beat them, they kill them. And then the vine, the, the, the landowner, God, says, well, I'm going to send my son because surely they will respect my son. Which on some level makes it sound like God is naive, right? And I think there's people who have sort of a vision of Christianity that makes God feel a little bit naive. Like, well, maybe, maybe uh, I don't know what else to do. Maybe if I send my son, maybe, maybe that'll be cool. And maybe that'll convince them. And if I send my son, surely they'll accept my son. Well, the this, vineyard owner is not stupid. Well, no, this, He's not this ignorant. Is, this is where, yeah, rather than just saying seeing it in the short term, uh-huh. that's why Jesus, what Jesus actually says is the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Right. He knows exactly what's going to happen. They're going to respect my son, not in the approximate reality, but in the long term. Well, I think the other thing he's doing, again, according to St. John Chrysostom, I'll read this quote in a second, is that he's making a statement of moral fact. Not that, oh, I assume that they'll accept my son. He's saying, no, this is what is expected and proper and what they ought to do. Just so you know that when he is rejected, the sin is clear because this is what ought to have happened. And that is the moral statement that God is making. Not like, oh, I hope so. But you're right. There's another, there's a long game dimension of it too. I just want to read this really quick. St. John Chrysostom said, why did the vineyard owner send his son after seeing what the tenants did to all of his servants? Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. He says, um, these, the father's words to himself, they will respect my son, do not reflect naivete. This is not the language of an ignorant man. Away with the thought. I love that St. John Chrysostom says that. (laughs) Rather, it's the language of one desiring to show the sin to be great and inexcusable. For though he himself knew that they would slay him, he sent him. And when he says they will respect, he states what they ought to have done. That was their duty to have reverenced him. And it, it, it reminds me again, sort of of the first reading. The first reading only makes sense if the sin is clear. If the sin of injustice, the sedaka, the outcry, all of the things that are happening in the first reading are crystal clear, then the vineyard owner is expected to be seen as righteous and just because you're like, yeah, that's the only thing you can do. And for Jesus to make sense in what he's about to do, the sin of rejection of the Son of God must be clear for us to say, yeah, I see what God is up to. God is not irrational. God is not um, unreasonable. God is a God of reason, faith and reason working together. So I, I, I don't know. I was moved by that. Um, I don't know if anybody else will be. Yeah, not me. But I <laughs> cool, love <man>. you. <laughs> oh, no, I, I just I, I, I look and, and when I see this, I'm when you start to talk about stones and builders um, and whose building is it the Lord's doing or is it man's doing? And when we're dealing with 
um, if we're going to look at Babel and we're, if we're going to look at the altars that everybody has been building to the Lord and the stones that are that that it took to actually make him, and like mm-hmm. it really, it's um really a deep question. What is this? What is this rejection? And what are we building? Like mm-hmm. okay, because there's a cornerstone. The cornerstone is is always in is in in a. It, in it a foundational stone right this is you lay the cornerstone and you say this is the year in which we began building yeah. this is this is actually the the kingdom of god will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruits and 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 i think that like the 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 attempt over and over like god actually puts these things into the memories of people if we continually try to do something and it always fails then there's there's a there's a reason so that we can go back in history and remember and go oh yeah this has failed a second time a third time oh wow this is actually something that's like continually a, a, a difficult thing and so that we can then actually understand when God acts it's I, I come back to my training for martial arts like uh, there's a there's this moment where what you're trying to do in in my particular branch of martial arts what you were trying to learn how to do is not um, dominate somebody's muscles but manipulate their skeleton so as you're as you're going along and somebody attacks you you're not trying to stop the power of their muscles you're just trying to understand how the skeleton works and then you move it along and what happens is that you at first you're like oh no all my strength comes from my muscles. Okay, that's what I'm gonna do. So I'm gonna muscle my right. way through this. Doesn't work. And so, so now we're we're into this. Right. Okay, they they mistreat the 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 prophets. They're yeah. trying to muscle their way to try to say like, what does ownership actually look like? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, because because we're there and we're like, oh, okay, we we want a bear, we want good fruit. There's no dispute about good fruit. It's about how that fruit is produced. Right, because the reason I think it's the opposite. They don't want good fruit. No, I think they want the, because what God is saying the stinky fruit is is the fruit of injustice and the fruit of the sinfulness. They want themselves to be gods. They want to be the vineyard owner. Mm. The the they want to muscle their way through it. The fruit that they're producing is the fruit that God says, "I don't want that fruit." Mm. I want my fruit. Right. I want the fruit that Got is it. good. Your fruit that you are really producing is stinky. Right. Okay. Got it. Yes. So they so don't want the same fruit. They I think don't that's want the, the same fruit. Problem. But they both want to bear fruit. Yes. Yes. That. That. Yes. I agree with that. Right. Yeah. And so, so in martial arts, until you actually understand what the fundamental is on how yeah, things yeah, actually yeah. work, right. you don't get it. And then when you get it, you're like, yeah. oh, then you can watch a nine-year-old girl defeat a three hundred-year-old, a three three hundred pound. <laughs> Three hundred year old guy. That wouldn't be terrible. That, that's hard to that's do, old, I that's old school kung fu right yeah. there, man. Like, <laughs> oh no, like you you watch that happen and you go, oh, and that's where Jesus is saying, I'm going to actually give you insight into how it really works. I am the true builder. I am the true vine. I am the one that you graft to me, and and is and we will actually bear fruit. I I'm going to actually build a house that's going to be. Uh, phenomenal, and that's why we take away the hedge. What we did before, and as we were doing it, you you tried to dominate it. I've got to give something different. So take your metaphor a step further. Step. And God is saying, okay, the uh, the the person who thought they were the master at martial arts but didn't understand the principles has now been defeated by the nine year old girl. I'm going to give the 
uh, this metaphor is breaking down quickly. Quickly. But I'm turning over the authority to the nine-year-old girl. Right. Essentially, you've lost your status right. as the master. You've lost your status as the leader, as the one everyone is supposed to look to. And this one that you think is a nobody, is a nothing, is actually going to be the one that I hand the authority to, which is what he's saying. This is where, again, Jesus takes the the parable of, of Isaiah 5 into the next step. It's not just he's going to allow the vineyard to be trampled down and destroyed and eaten by the wild beasts, which is in a certain sense what happens when the wild nation of Rome will come and actually do those things. But it's and he actually puts the question to them, the one who the ones who don't seem to realize that this parable is about them as the tenants who are beating and stoning the prophets who are trying to kill the son. And he says, what would the master do with those people? And I'm sure the, the the Pharisees and the religious leaders, not wanting the ire of the crowd who were totally tracking with Jesus's parables, they're like, well, he, he would put those wretched men to a wretched death. Like the old Israelites, like the people in Isaiah's time, of course, which we think we are nothing like. And Jesus says, yeah, absolutely. And, and he's not only going to let it be torn down, he's going to give it to other tenants. And Jesus says to the religious leaders who are the tenants of the time, yeah, it's going to be taken away from you and given to someone else. In other words, the apostles, these, you know, <laughs> jamokes from you know, who knows where, uneducated, I'm going to give all of the authority to. And they're going to take more authority and give it to Gentiles and outsiders and all of the people that you find to be distasteful. Your authority will be taken from you as the evil tenants who have done these things, even though you don't think you've done these things. And it's going to be not just destroyed, not just trampled down, but built back up under the care of brand new tenants who you didn't think were capable of the job because you have shown yourselves to be incapable of the job. So it's there the you grafting. Go. The grafting in the vineyard become conflated as metaphors. Right. And that's where we have to go and bear fruit of justice and righteousness of love of right. and, and think about these beautiful, holy, good things, the justness, purity, oh. loveliness, commendableness, excellence, and praise and I'm gonna go oh. think about loveliness. Loveliness, absolutely. Like rather than uh, in an age where it's just so tempting to just think about what do they call it now? Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. That's one of my favorite. I mean, it's a terrible, but it's so apt, isn't it's it? It's so apt. I doom scroll. I, I have to admit, right? Doom so, scrolling is, is so like so give addictive. Up, give up the doom scrolling and and look for where the beautiful good things are. Like, and it, because do you remember when Facebook was all pictures of cats and stuff? Cats I, and babies. I never really have engaged Facebook much. Oh, cats and babies. What it used to be. It's not anymore. No. Now it's doom scrolling. No, yeah, exactly. So so you guys think about whatever's lovely, pure, good, true, holy, and honest, and righteous. Well, awesome. We love you guys. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. See you next time. Okay, sounds good. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash AICT. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.